Hello everyone, dear patrons, welcome back to BungaCast. This is another Alpha Bonus Bonus, where we shout at you, dear friends slash pain patrons, for having dared to question our brilliant insights. Uh, we love doing these actually, very seriously. Uh, and we've got uh, quite a couple of comments and criticisms to get through. Um, and we're going to start, as usual, um, by firstly saying hello. I'm Alex. I'm Phil. I'm, I'm George. Hello. Yeah, good. Um, just checking the other guys are, are, are awake and participating. And uh, we're going to start um, back to front. I'm not going to make that wiping back to front joke again. Uh, I don't think it landed last time. Um, and they're shaking their heads. So there we go. Anyway, we're going to start with the last outfit bonus bonus. And I'm going to try as we go through this, because a lot of these refer back to the previous one or you know previous even older discussions than kind of a month or two ago uh, to try to at least put them in context. So we know and what we're talking about and that we're all on the same page. Um, so firstly, this is the alpha bonus bonus from two seven uh, number 274 from July 2022. Uh, Kenneth Smith says, I just got word that I'm going to be brutally murdered if Phil brings up lockdown more than once again. Pray for me, patrons. Um, so that's a, a message there Doesn't... to Phil. Um, and I think someone else commented that in the but following episode what? after this. Like COVID, like what? Just killed by a friend of his, I guess, who's like, please stop Phil from talking about lockdown all the time. Um, and in the but following episode, friend, he talks about lockdown. Why is that friend going to kill Kenneth Smith? Why wouldn't that friend I, kill? Mm, yeah, I'm no. not entirely sure. Um, I think he doesn't know where Phil lives and he lives. You know, you gotta, someone's got to die, right? <laughs> I yeah, think that's okay. the point here. Someone's got to die. And uh, the nearest, uh, the, the the proximate person will be will be uh, the one who gets it in the neck. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll try to avoid that. I don't think we've done lockdown in a while and thank God. Um, right, next point. Uh, Eli uh, makes a point. Uh, thanks, Phil, actually, for clarifying kind of the difference between uh, third worldism and fourth worldism. And actually, Phil, if you would just really quickly recap what um, those terms mean. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what fourth world is referring to. <laughs> all very what serious about here yeah um no i think for i think the idea was that you know the third world obviously was the you know rest of the world which are neither uh the western bloc nor uh the the communist bloc uh and the and fourth worldism somehow emerged probably at the end after the the fall of the soviet union and was uh, a reference to the sort of marginalized within first world countries, immigrants, uh, and so on, as well as kind of excluded elsewhere. And I think that was the basic idea. Um, Phil, was jump that in fourth if you... worldism? Yeah, I mean, so the, I mean, this conversation was a while back now. I mean, if that was fourth worldism, then yeah, it was simply to say that the, the kind of the, you know, Zapatistas and the Saint-Papiers in France and I don't know, kind of other, you know, remote kind of peripheral insurgencies of one kind or another were going to substitute for the, um, no, let's roll back. It was about the point about third world states being carved up. There you had um, a new kind of uh, insurgency, which was usually on the territory of um, the formerly the former kind of grand third world states of the previous period. So Indonesia, Yugoslavia, Libya, Iraq, you know, were carved up. Um, and usually that you had kind of these secessionist movements that were sponsored by Western states um, in the form of United Nations peacekeeping or humanitarian intervention of one form or another. And I've mentioned only like, you know, the most significant kind of moments of that. I don't, I mean, I don't 
know that it was ever called fourth worldism by anybody um but i think it was it's a, the point was i think that it was a reflex of western power in a period in which there was no kind of counterweight to western power anymore and so they could um intervene in the third world in a way that hadn't been possible previously yeah i mean i, d- I definitely think that's part of it but i think it's yeah it's um, these kind of subpopulations, excluded populations, excluded from the kind of whatever mainstream global society or whatever. In any case, the, the point here is that um, these two have merged and Eli uh, remarks on how these have been merged while calling itself the same thing. Uh, Eli also says, thank you for being based enough to note the transition in left stances during and after the Cold War. Motherfuckers today act like the left has only ever had one opinion and any excuse me, motherfuckers, <laughs> motherfuckers today act like the left has only ever had one opinion about anything. And it has to have been Jeremy Corbyn's. Um, that's good. Um, moving on. Uh, Alex McAuliffe says that, uh, and I swear this Alex McAuliffe is not Alex Hochuli, even though he happens to agree with uh, Alex Hochuli, is that very consistently. Uh, mm, no, I mean, only here, I think. But let's see. My my gut feeling is that reactions like Phil's against the possibility of Chinese economic growth and opportunity drawing migrants from elsewhere is pretty naive. Now, this refers to a discussion that we had about uh, people fleeing Afghanistan, holding on to you know the hull of a of a B fifty two bomber, trying to escape to the U S. and a d- d- disagreement between Phil and I about whether China could ever represent uh, such a destination. Um, and in fact, we returned to this conversation and asked <laughs> Branko Milanovic to adjudicate between uh, the two of us in in this week, except the episode that came out this week. Um, so there's more on that in this very recent episode. But let me just continue um, Alex's comment. Um, he thinks this idea is pretty naive, given the length that people have gone historically for a chance of a better life. I'm thinking of the migration around the world in the mid to late 19th century. At the moment, maybe America and Europe are drawing the best and the brightest who can get there. But I imagine a whole swathe of reasonable futures where this might be changed. The first things that comes to mind would be the own goal of draconian immigration policies in the US, eliminating what is today eliminating what is today's best option for migration, regardless of what is going on in China. I know very little about Chinese migrant work or immigration policies, much less their social controls, but it is an enormous dynamic and fairly politically stable economy. I don't think it's possible to draw, um, I don't think the idea that it could be a draw to people could be dismissed out of hand. Uh, Continuing on this theme, Lionel Boyd Johnson says that friends who've lived in Beijing and Shanghai for multi-year stints say that there are a surprising number of African and Middle Eastern residents. As the West becomes increasingly hostile to immigration, I could easily see China becoming a viable, even desirable option for people. Um, I, 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 I hope. So look, that, let but... me. I need to. I need to come back at this because I need to clarify what I meant. Um, the idea that it's a possible draw to many people, I don't dismiss out of hand. What I said is that there will never be people clinging to the underside of carriages in a comparable situation where, you know, young professionals in their early 20s risk their lives in the most extreme kind of scenarios in order to get into China. Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.